Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Long Walk Podcast with your girl Haas, where we talk about wellness, creativity, and other musings from an elder millennial. Your girl is older, wiser, stronger, and I know you are too. Today, we are talking about being a perfectionist, or what I like to call myself, a recently retired perfectionist. Listen, I expect this to be pretty a pretty raw conversation. I don't remember a time where I wasn't a perfectionist. I felt like that was a huge part of my identity. I really didn't see it any other way. I really didn't see any other way to be. If I wasn't a perfectionist, then it meant I didn't care about the things I was doing. And so the way for me to show that I care and the way, so let's be really transparent, the way for me to feel worthy was by being a perfectionist. It wasn't about just getting something right. It was about making sure that there was no other way to do it that could have been better. Um, I think, like I said, you know, there's been no time where I can recall being different. And I, and I took a pause there because part of me is saying that's not true. I think the last time I could remember not needing to do something perfectly and without a frustration about it, I was probably four years old. So it's been a long time. I think it's there's so many different factors. I think the first thing is you know, starting with family, you feel like that level of praise you receive when you get something right, it's it's seductive, you know? I remember, you know, maybe getting 100 on a test as a kid, and it felt like more than just someone saying, oh, good job, but like, yeah, you did that. I'm proud of you you're kind of like you're special and I wanted to be special. And so I didn't want to have moments where that feeling was gone. So yes, I got to get that hundred every single time because I don't want to feel what it's like to not get that response. And, you know, there's elements of like, (laughs) having, you know, I've had, I've had parents say, my parents say, you know, if I got a 90, that's good. Where's those other 10 points? And just kind of, I'm just kind of sitting in that like, I need those 10 points. They're right. I need those 10 points. That 90's good, but 100's better. 80's all right, but 90's better. 
but a hundred is the best. And so that played in my academics. And then I watched it play into kind of a bit of like my personhood, my appearance, um, my creativity, just everywhere that anything I do needs to be done with pure excellence. And if I had to choose between excellence and joy, I want excellence. Because excellence means I can't be questioned. Excellence means there's no room for doubt for myself and no one else can doubt me either. Excellence means I'm dependable and trustworthy. Excellence means I'm special. Excellence means superiority. Excellence means I'm listened to. Excellence means I'm considered. So nothing can beat excellence. Except that excellence is subjective. <laughs> so you're losing. You're already losing in a game you think you're winning in. Yeah, maybe not so much with academia, you know, getting good grades, you know. But even the approach, how you learn, how you interpret. There's more than one way to do that, even if that's not the way that we typically learn in academic environment. That just means that's the way that's shown to us, but it doesn't mean that that's the only way. So your excellence is still under a very, very narrow view and through a very narrow view. So then there's appearance. I would say I'm attractive. Most people are though. You know, I don't think anyone really wants to be honest about that. Most people are attractive to some degree. And attractiveness is again, subjective. And especially for women. For example, I always had a big butt. Even as a little kid, always had a big butt. And I was made fun of and I felt uncomfortable. And I always felt like someone, because I was also pretty skinny. So I always felt like I was kind of ogled. And then, <laughs> ogled and, and sometimes maybe chosen for that, but maybe you don't really like me. And then J-Lo appears. <laughs> and all of a sudden, big butts are in. And I remember thinking it would have been really nice if J-Lo would have just shown up, I don't know, 10 years earlier. That would have been nice. Because now I just feel confused. The thing that I was ridiculed for is now this thing of prestige. And, you know, 
you get over it. I remember, like, to the point I remember feeling uncomfortable about it because I wasn't necessarily very curvy. And, but I just, I had a big butt. And I remember watching In Living Color and how the, the male comedians would get dressed. When they were dressing like women, they would put these big butt pillows or whatever, prosthetics in their pants or their dress. And I remember seeing that and I felt embarrassed because it felt almost like they were ridiculing me. Um, And, you know, I'm a kid, so that's how I'm interpreting it. But it was really, irony's not lost on me that J-Lo was on In in Living Color, as we say this. But um, I just remember, like, feeling like I was almost perfect, but this butt got in the way, you know, because in the time, it was like being skinny was like the look. This is the 90s, and it was almost perfect, you know, or, or I went to modeling, casting, and one of the casting people say full-figured Black woman. And without missing a beat, just was like, your butt's too big. Just harshly, without kindness, when I'm looking at someone whose body is closer to mine. And it felt hurtful. And I bring this all up because it's not really about the physicality. It's about that need to match whatever is the given aesthetic, which is the under the guise of perfection. And feeling like I could almost do it in every kind of way, except for, you know, except for the butt then. But I could almost do it in every way. I could get skinny enough. I could make my face look pretty enough. I, I love makeup, so I could like whatever version, I would practice a lot. So whatever version of a look that was the popular look, I found a way to kind of copy it and, and, and make it work for me. This is separate from the fact that like I can be perfect only within some spheres because you know, I'm a black woman and very rarely in our current society are we ones, rarely if ever, probably not considered perfect. And if we are, it may be because we are very, we're matching a European aesthetic and or ideal. So not because of our blackness. So back to, you know, like I can make myself, I could do almost anything. I can make my hair the way that someone would say is perfect. I can make my face the way that someone says is perfect. And while I have a big butt, I can give myself a six pack in the gym. I could do all these things. I can speak the way that someone says is appropriate or are closer to perfect. I can present myself in a way with maybe clothing that is considered so-called professional or 
whatever is considered more perfect. So I could do almost every single thing that would make someone think when I walk into the room, she's got it together. She's perfect. And I am not saying this as a brag in any way. I'm saying that this is actually terrible. Because never once did you hear me say that I walked into the room looking exactly, being exactly, appearing exactly how I wanted to appear. How I felt was necessary, or not how I felt was necessary, but how I felt I wanted to appear. How I felt a look or appearance or way of being that felt really akin to who I was as a person. You never hear me say that because that wasn't true. I did think I was doing what I wanted, but what I wanted was the accolades and the respect and the acknowledgement and the feeling of worthiness. That's what I wanted. But that's not me. Those are just things that I felt like I needed to survive or feel okay, or feel better. And I don't think we ever, ever, ever acknowledge the amount of energy that takes, the amount of weariness you can feel trying to maintain that. It's completely unsustainable. And yet we do it every day. I remember being in junior high and I always got pretty good grades. And my parents were very serious about me getting good grades. And I got a 77 on a Regents, an English Regents class that was getting A's, probably A pluses in, like to the point where like I was so ahead of everyone else. I was just doing extra credit. Like my teacher would give me extra credit so I could just kind of like bide my time till we got to the next uh, lesson. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was just stress. I have no idea. But I came home and I was so distraught. And mind you, again, my parents were very serious about good grades. I think that's the first time where they did not know what to do with me. They were like, we do not know how to console her. And like, she is taking this way too seriously. I remember like, kind of like throwing myself on the bed and just sobbing. And like, they just let me cry. And then when I finally like, started to quiet down. They were like, it's okay. It's okay. But I don't think they would have ever said that had they not. Like something shifted that day when they realized like how much pressure I was actually putting on myself. Their pressure couldn't compete with the kind of pressure I was putting on myself. And I would love to say that day shifted me and then I was just like, whatever. <laughs> but no, that's not what happened. I just continued to be that way. I, I wanted to be the best and only 
if I had been pushed to a point where it became clear that I'm just not going to win that. I mean, it's not going to happen for me. Did I kind of concede? Um, I would say that was the case maybe, you know, like in high school, like it just felt like there was too, too much politics and too much talent where I could be seen as the best of the best. So I had to take, you know, I'm good enough. But I definitely felt like that played with me too. Um, I think, you know, it was a stark contrast to my middle school and my elementary school experience of just kind of being the best of the best. And like, you know, I get the solos, I get to choose what I want to sing. I ask my principal, hey, can we put on a show for assembly in a few weeks? And they say, yes, like I get to just kind of run run the show in any way I wanted to. And that's because I had everything else lined up and together. I had great grades and I came to school and I made sure I looked nice and I was pretty and I was smart and I was so-called well-spoken and I was talented so I could do whatever. And then you go to school where that's the case with everybody. <laughs> and so it's like, damn. How am I going to finagle this? How am I going to run this? And not only is that the case for everybody, but there's tons of people. Um, and so that shifted some things for me. That didn't change my desire of for perfection. But I did get humbled knowing that, like, I could work really hard and just, it's just not it. But that didn't stop the hard work. <laughs> I, just, I just think it kind of opened my mind a little bit more to being aware of that. And so then going to college for the same thing, you know, being in conservatory um, and realizing, yeah, you get to work really, really, really hard. And that may not mean anything to the point where, was it my sophomore year? It was, no, it was my junior year. I left the conservatory for a year. I just felt like overwhelmed and underappreciated and unsure of myself and my ability. And I left the conservatory for a year and just did um, liberal arts. And it was fun, I'm not gonna lie, it was fun. Um, it was fun to kind of learn new things and kind of not always looking to see how I can be well, you know what I'm about to say, how I can, not looking to see if how I can be the best, but that's a total fucking lie. No, I still wanted to be the best because I also remember that I was, you know, I felt smart outside of singing too, or skilled outside of singing too. But, you know, it didn't, the hunger is different in a way. It, it's, it's different or it felt different for me Versus being a conservatory, conservatory 
was, you know, much more intense. But I needed that break. And I got to, you know, take women's history classes and write papers and write papers in kind of my tone and that was acceptable and I still got good grades. I didn't have to like prove I was intelligent. It was kind of like a given. Um, and it's and that's the odd thing about perfectionism. When I say that, no, no one walked around and said I like, thought I, they thought I was dumb. It was just that there's a way to present yourself so that you appear best of the best or excellent. And so I felt like I had a little bit of a breather there. And, but I learned nothing because then I had to <laughs> prove that I could graduate on time and prove that I'm so skilled, I'm so together, I'm so strong that I did my junior and senior year in conservatory in one year, my actual senior year. And yeah, I graduated on time. I, you know, I graduated with my, the class I came in with. But the stress, the stress I put myself under, unnecessary. Not worth it. I put myself under so much stress that when I graduated college, for the first six months, I began to stutter. I'm almost like it's tough for me to even say it. It was so hard to get the words out of my mouth in those six months due to nothing else but stress. I just, I wasn't speaking much to people because I had just began stuttering out of nowhere. This is the point where you should be like, hey, let's figure out how to stop trying to be perfect at everything and stop trying to prove everything. But nope. Started speaking without a stutter after six months and I was back on my bullshit. <laughs> You know, wanting to prove myself as a musician out of, out of the conservatory and making music and trying to show I can do everything myself. I didn't need any help. And granted, granted, sometimes the help that you get as <laughs> when you're in the arts, sometimes the offers of help don't feel free. When you're, you know what? Let me rephrase. When you are a woman, in the arts, sometimes the offers of help don't always feel free. Take with that what you will. So no, I wasn't always open to a lot of help because I also wanted to that and also I wanted to prove, yeah, you didn't believe in me, but look what I can do. Look what the fuck I can do on my own. Cause I'm that good. I'm excellent. I am perfect at what? I can do. And I did that for a while. And while everybody didn't necessarily love it, it's very clear everybody didn't love it, no one could say that I didn't fucking put in the work. To the point where there was a point where I could say, no one can outwork me. No one can outwork me. But that wasn't great. 
I did that. I, I did that with full-time job, never sleeping, always going out, always rehearsing, practicing, going on tour, being completely in charge of the tour, including performance and logistics. Um, and shocker, I got burned out. I got burned out aggressively burnt out and I just couldn't do anything anymore I just couldn't do anything anymore when I began to burn out at that point I was performing I was doing vocal coaching I was training for marathons and at that time actually no, I was training for an ultra marathon working full-time And there was a time when I maybe woke up four or five o'clock, maybe three or four in the morning. And I had a training run and it was 32 miles. And I ran that. Then I ran home, took a quick shower. Then I ran down the hill. And I taught, I coached a uh, voice class and then I ran to the grocery store and I did shopping. I just kept going. I, I felt like I keep going as long as I don't sit down. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm perfect. I can do anything. And I always talk about the grain of sand, pebble, rock, boulder. There were tons of hints that I was going to burn out. All of a sudden I was dealing with vertigo, the room spinning, the room's upside down. I was like, oh, that's weird, but uh, I'll be fine. Getting tired. Heart palpitations, putting on weight that seemed like for no reason. But I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then it all happened at once, you know, like the vertigo, the heart palpitations, the weight gain, the excessive tiredness and fatigue. And it was like, oh, I'm burning out. I can't function. And even still, it's like, but I got to prove that I, I'm good enough. I got to prove I can still do stuff despite this. And I kept pushing even with it. And it just kept going, getting worse and worse and worse. It felt like, you know, like when you're, if you're a runner, you know, when they say you hit the wall. I was hitting the wall, and it's like, but the wall could, would never go away. You know, the wall usually goes away. If you take a second, have some, you know, some electrolytes or a gel, or you walk for a little bit, or you, you cool down for a little. But the wall was never going away, and I had to stop. And I battled that for such a long time. Because if I have to stop, it means I'm imperfect. It means I'm not excellent. And if I'm not excellent, then I'm not worthy. And if I'm not worthy, I'm not cared about. I'm not, and if I'm not cared about, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. Ultimately, that's all I'm really trying to be. 
So I had to acknowledge that I couldn't maintain what I was doing. I had to give it up. And that was no easy feat, y'all. I still deal with it today. Because it's a long time trying to be a perfectionist and just to have to give it up one day. And to have so much evidence of it seeming to work out in your favor time and time again. But I had to give it up. And then I realized, like, no. I don't want to be that. Not just because I don't feel good anymore, but because, like, shit. Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be if I'm not thinking about how everyone will receive it? I'm not thinking about if everyone thinks I'm good enough, if everyone thinks I'm pretty enough, if everyone thinks I'm smart enough, if everyone thinks I'm strong enough, if everyone thinks I'm together enough. Who do I want to be? And when I tell you, I don't fucking know. I don't know. I know I want to feel good. I know I want to be creative. I know I want to be happy. I know I want to be open. I know I want to love myself and feel loved. I know definitely that I don't want to prove anymore. I know that I want to be around people who love me no matter what I'm doing for them who love me, even if I don't look good, who love me, even if every single thing I do isn't perfect, who just love me because I am. Those are the things I do know. So maybe I don't know who I want to be in the sense of an occupation or an appearance. And maybe I don't know who I want to be in terms of doing things that will show people who I am. And even that, that doesn't feel clear. I I mean that separate of creativity. But I definitely want to not be someone who creates to prove anymore. Because that shit is so freaking subjective. And you never know what anyone else is going through who's going to have a part in deciding if you're worth it. So I'm a recently retired perfectionist. I have many moments where I forget and I get up and I want to be the best, 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 no matter what it takes. (laughs) And then I remember, hey, That shit makes me sick, like literally sick. And I don't wanna be sick. So I'm just gonna do the best that I can do that also still feels good to me. And keep remembering to do that because I'm gonna forget. I have been forgetting and I'm gonna probably continue to forget. I have almost 
40 years of doing the opposite. So yeah, I just got to keep remembering that that's what I want to do. So that's the plan. And I want to see and hear about any perfectionists out there or former perfectionists out there that are listening. Tell me your story. Tell me how you've begun to be reformed or if you're, or you know what? I want to hear from the people who are like, no, I'm, I, I'm not changing. I love it. I want to hear from both sides. It's probably one of the few times I want to hear from both sides. <laughs> but definitely, I would love to hear your thoughts. So shoot them my way. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Hasina Flower, Twitter and YouTube at Hasina Music, Facebook at Hasina. Again, thank you for listening to The Long Walk. I so much appreciate it. I look forward to continuing this walk with you. See you soon. One love.